Good morning. All right. Well, this is our second week in, uh, in, our, in our study on Ruth. And um, last week we talked about God's hand in our suffering. And we, we talked a little bit about Naomi and um, what that look, how it looks like when you're suffering and when we are Naomi and when we're going through that and we just don't feel like we're ever going to get on the flip side. And we talked about how that's going to look um, to a Ruth and how there could be a Ruth watching and how we need to remember that God is just as big in those times when we're having a rough go as he is when we're having a good time. And so this week we're going to talk about God's hand in our luck. And uh, we've all had, I'm sure at some point or another, we've all think, thought we've had good luck or experienced good luck, good fortune, something, right? Some of the, you guys go to Vegas and this, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so um, we're going to just start right in chapter 2 and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read through um, read through a little bit of this chapter and just kind of talk to you from, um, from my heart on what some of this stuff has said to me and spoken into me um, as somebody who this book has greatly impacted um, and it, the, the beautiful picture that it's going to paint for you guys over the next three weeks. This one and the next two is, is going to blow your mind, I hope. Um, so anyway, we're just going to jump right in. Um, we're gonna, uh, last week we met, there's three characters in this book. Um, there's uh, three main characters, I should say. There's um, Naomi and Ruth, and then there's another guy named Boaz. Last week we only met Naomi and Ruth. This week we're going to meet, uh, we're going to meet Boaz, we're going to meet Bo, and um, that's not his name, but I just prefer to call him that. And um, we're going to talk about, uh, Bo's, a, Bo's a man's man, he's a good guy, real, really, uh, he just, you know, he doesn't, um, he doesn't know who Mariah Carey, the Spice Girls are, um, he doesn't drive a Miata ever, um, you know, stuff, there's somebody, there's a guy out there right now who drives a Miata that's going to stab me when this is over. Um, but he's just, he's a man's man. That's just what he is. He's just a, he's a really good guy. He's a tough guy. He treats women and his people the way they're supposed to be treated. And so we're going to talk about him a little bit and get to meet him. Um, uh, and we're going to start off right in chapter two. Um, one day, Ruth the Moabite, this is uh, verse two, sorry. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up so the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who was kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. As it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Limelech. This is a, kind of a bigger deal than, uh, than they let on to be. A lot of um, translations, the translation we were listening to uses the word gleaning instead of gathering up uh, stalks or whatever behind. And what that means is um, basically it would be equivalent to kind of dumpster diving or something now. Basically there's these harvesters, they go out and they get all the good stuff and then she can come up behind them and pick out what's left. And she can get, you know, basically the leftovers that they didn't like or they didn't want. And where this comes from is this old Hebrew law that said that, and is basically God said, okay, I'm, I'm going to give you what you need. You take the food that you need. You take what you need to make money and to earn and to live. And then I want you to leave some. I want you to leave some for the widow. I want you to leave some for the oppressed and the, and the people that are having a rough go. It would kind of be equivalent to um, the Hebrew version of welfare, something like that, really. Um, so it's, it's really not, um, it's, not a, it's not a desirable job. And, and Ruth shows some initiative. She shows some, some character, and she says, all right, we haven't eaten in a while. We're in a place where nobody likes us. They definitely don't like me because the racial tension here is high. So I'm going to go out, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to glean, and I'm going to pick up these stalks behind, behind these ladies. So the way that works is there's these main guys that are, that are doing their deal, and then there's these women behind them. And then basically she gets the third pick because she hasn't really gotten it approved. So she gets to go behind the lady. So she's really picking up 
the scraps and the stuff that nobody uh, really wants or has anything to do with. So it's the time of barley harvest. So everybody is, there's just fields and fields for miles and miles, and they're going out, and everybody is getting ready for, for the big uh, the big harvest time where they get to sell it and, and get rid of it and get all their money and all that good stuff. So we're going to write in chat. I want to read verse 3 again. So Ruth went out to gather grain and behind the harvesters, and as it happened, I find that, just, I find that phrase weird. Just want to stop there really quick. As it happened, it's kind of uh, some versions will say something along the lines of um, it just so happened or something like that. That's an interesting, uh, that's interesting words to use in a book. Um, that where the main theme is how God orchestrates and lines everything up to work out the way he wants. And it's an interesting theme. It's interesting words for a book that is about God, um, that knows he's, he's in control of everything. So I kind of think maybe they want to draw our attention to that a little bit and, and kind of get us to look at it. As it happened, um, I lost my place. As it happened, she found herself working in the field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law. So as it happened, so it just so happens, she walks out to this huge, uh, this huge field, and there's all these different fields she can choose from, and there's all these different owners and all these different people she can go work for, and she just happens to walk upon Boaz, uh, the field that belongs to Boaz. There wasn't like a burning bush experience. She didn't, nothing, you know, there wasn't anything that drew over there. There wasn't an angel from the Lord. There wasn't a talking cow, nothing. She just decided that that's where she wanted to go. And so that, it just so happened that God orchestrated her steps and led her there. So while she was there, this is verse 4, while she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. So this isn't normal. He probably wouldn't normally come out there. He probably wouldn't normally go out every day. So it just so happens that she, of all the fields she picks, she picks one that belongs to Boaz. And it just so happens that on the day she's out there, Boaz shows up. Um, we're going to learn a little bit about what th- people think of Boaz right here. Um, the Lord be with you, he said. He gets out and he's greeting his harvesters. The Lord be with you. And um, then they say back to him, the Lord bless you. Um, so this is kind of, this shows us a few things. Um, in a lot of versions, they'll describe Boaz as worthy, um, as a man that is worthy. That's kind of, the best way to look at that is kind of um, the, the three W's, as they're called from time to time. Um, he was a man of war, so he could fight. He was a, he was a burly man. If you got in a fist fight, he'd probably win. Um, he, was, uh, he was a man of wealth. That doesn't mean he had lots of money. That means he had lots of money. He managed it well. He took care of people. He, he helped the oppressed, all that good stuff. And then uh, a big word for you is a man of wherewithal. I had to look that one up. really was excited about saying it, so y'all think I'm smarter than I am. Um, basically, that means if you've got somebody in a pinch, if, you, you know, if you're in a pinch, you need, you need somebody to help you. He's the man. He'll, he'll come through. He'll make it happen. He's a quick thinker on his feet, all that stuff. So he's a good, worthy, respectable man. And he gets out and, and he, he, it shows you that he values his employees because he says, Lord bless you, Lord bless you. And, and that's kind of, you know, I mean, kind of put that in perspective of today, you know, if you, you some of you guys, a lot of you guys work, um, so what, what would you think if your boss walked in hollering, Lord bless you, you know? Um, I don't get this image of everybody in this room full of cubicles and people popping their head up like moles out of a, out of a mole hole going, and the Lord bless you, and the Lord bless you. I just don't think that's quite how it goes. Um, that's just not really how, you know, you'd, you'd be caught off guard, and then, you know, if you don't like your boss, you'd probably, you know, may the Lord hit you with something big and large, um, whatever. So, that's a, so it shows that he's valued, he values his employees, he thanks a lot of them, and it shows that they thank a lot of him. They don't have to say that back. They don't have to say anything back. They can, they can do whatever, you know, workers do and ignore him and, sh- you know, shrug him off. But they value him. They think something of him. So it, that, that says something about who Boaz is. He's a, he's a worthy man, and, and his, the people he works for, he values them, and they value him, and they appreciate him. 
So we're going to go and we're going to see where he shows. So he just so happens to show up. And we're going to see next how he gonna, he's going to approach Naomi. Not Naomi, excuse me, Ruth. We're going to see how he approaches Ruth. Because Ruth and Boaz are about to meet for the first time. And this is a big deal because they're going to get married. Um, and we're not going to talk a lot about that, but we will in the coming weeks. They're going to they're gonna get married. They're going to get hitched. So um, this is their first meeting. This is their love at first sight moment, right? And this is, again, this is just, it just so happened that she picked the right field. And it just so happened that she picked it on the day that Boaz was going to come. And it just so happened that he came out. And then it just so happens that he sees her. He sees her out in the field working. And that's unusual for a lot of reasons, but it's a big field. You probably wouldn't notice one dirty woman from the next because, I mean, she's out there working. She's been out there for a lot of hours, so she's nasty and all pitted out and sweating and smelling bad. And, you know, I mean, I know women, we like to think women don't really smell. They do um, when, when they start working, not by nature because that's weird. But um, so, <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Can we cut that out? <laughs> Do you ever ask yourself while I'm up here, why do they let that, that, that idiot up there? Um, all right, so, and then Boaz asked his foreman, who is that young woman belong to? So she got a husband, who, where's she from? What, what's the deal? What's the deal, yo? Give me the, give me, give me the, the 411. Tell me what's up. And um, so he's wanting to know a little bit about her. Now it says something that he would notice her. She was in the right spot to even for him to see her. These are big fields. It's not like for me to the, to the back of the wall. I mean, there's a big distance between them, and she's, potentially, and she's in the right spot to be seen and to be noticed by him. And then the foreman goes on to say who she is and tells her, she's, this, she's the chick from Moab. She's the Moabite. She came in with Naomi, you know. And so immediately, what we're going to talk about in just a minute is how he goes over to her and talks to her. When he finds out who she is, he wants to go and talk to her. There's two things I want you to realize. Number one is God is carefully orchestrating Ruth's steps, and he's putting her where he wants her to be, and he's taking her where he wants her to go because there's a bigger plan at play. But the, the, the other thing I want you to see is that um, she took some initiative to do something in a time when she could have just sat around and moped and felt bad for herself. And I don't want to downplay what anybody goes through in this room, but I just want to tell you that if you're under this impression that you don't ever have to take initiative and that people will forever and ever hand feed you and mouth feed you whatever you want, you A, still live at home with your mother, or B, are you delusioned. And I, I don't mean that in a negative way, okay? I'm just saying that it's not forever going to be that way. You have to get up. You have to take some initiative. You have to have some character. And Ruth did that, and she got up, and she made a choice. And so Boaz, he, here's who she is, and she finds out who she is, and he goes over to her. Now, I'm just going to take just a brief segue here, and I just want to talk to some of my guys in the room, whether you're married or you're single. Um, it's, this is kind of a, he was attracted, I think, to, to Naomi, I mean, to Ruth's character. He, he didn't see her like at her finest, okay? She's out in the field. She's dirty. She's nasty. She's got sweat stains. You know, it's, it's not a good scene for her, you know? If she had known she was going to go meet Boaz or whatever, she'd probably, you know, taken the six hours that ladies take to get all dolled up and prettied up and 15 layers of makeup and, a, you, know, a, 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 you know, a car buffer, you know? I mean, whatever, whatever you got to do to make yourself work, you know, you're walking. What's happening? Where is she going with the car stuff? You know, it, all it's... 15 hours of that, you know, and then you're ready to go, and then you come out, and you're like, oh, I forgot uh, something, and, you know, we're waiting again. It's one of those deals, and she didn't look that way, and so she probably had her hair, you know, all up in one of these, like, side buns falling over thing, you know what I'm talking about, and, you know, she didn't have any makeup on, her hair, her face was, like, nasty black and brown, and, and she wasn't wearing good clothes because she didn't have extra clothes, probably, and so she's just not 
this is not a, the way she wants to meet him. And, and she, he sees her from far away, and he was probably not completely blown away at that moment by her beauty. But he hears who she is, and she, he, he goes to her, and he's attracted to her character. And I just want to tell you that I've been married. I'm working on 10 years of marriage. And, and my wife, I think, is, I think she's hot. I think she's beautiful. I'm, I'm just as attracted to her as the day that, that I married her. She's a beautiful woman. But that is not what has sustained our marriage. I'm, I am in love with her character. I'm in love with who she is. I'm in love with the way she loves people. I'm in love with the way that even despite all my ugly, she loves me. I'm in love with the fact that I feel like when she prays, she can move mountains because she's an amazing woman of God. I'm crazy in love with her as a human being and her character. And, and for all you guys that have a wife that are getting tired and bored, or for all you guys who aren't married yet, let me just encourage you that, you know, there's not only so, I just get tired of, well, she's so hot, she's so hot, she, you know, yeah, well, so is hell, but we don't go running towards it real fast, okay? So just love on your wife and fall in love with who she is and fall in love with her character and, and let that be what attracts you and pulls you towards her. Because, yeah, you need to be attracted to your wife. There needs to be a level of attraction. But as you go on and as you stay married for a longer period of time, you're going to find that you're all going to, you know, we're both going to get old and I'm going to get even uglier and, and she's going to look different. And, and, and that moment, I'm going to remember the 50, 60, 70 years I've had being crazy in love with the woman that she is, not the woman that she looked like. So I just want to encourage you guys with that, Okay. Treat your wives the way they deserve to be treated. Love them the way they need to be loved and fall in love with who they are, not with how they look, right? That has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Um, but it's a good nugget. Take it with you. I don't care what anybody says. Um, <clears throat> so he's attracted to her character and he goes over to her, okay? So he sees something in her and he goes towards her. That's, that's important, okay? Um, he goes over and he talks to her for a minute. And um, this is kind of, this is, I, I want to, want to, this Verse 8, let's just say that and stop talking. Boaz went over and said to Ruth, listen, my daughter, stay right here with us when you gather grain. So at this moment, he's providing some community for her. He's saying, you stay here with me. You stay in this field. You stay with us. I got your back. I'll take care of it. You're going to be here, okay? Um, And then he, stay right here behind the young women working in my field. See which part of the field they are harvesting and then follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly, okay? So this is Hebrew for who's your daddy? I got your back. Um, you know, he goes over to him. He puts his arm around him. He reminds them it's a big field. They'll never find your body. Don't bother her. Okay. Um, so this is what he's saying. He said, I got you. I got this. I'm a big man. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm kind of a bad dude. And we don't know. He's not married. We don't know why. I don't know why Bo, Bo's not married. Bobo. Um, what I like to call him when it's just me and him. Um, Bo, I don't know why Bo's not married. Um, we, I don't know if he's got like a big horn coming out of his head or, you know, some gorder that comes out to here or, you know, four eyes. I don't know. Um, we don't, I don't, it, it, I don't know if he's just not attractive. He doesn't, I don't know. But he's not married. He's single. So he's taking care of her and see which, so he goes, see which part of the field, follow them. And when you are thirsty, help yourself to water they have drawn from the well. So he's, this is unusual in the fact that um, he's, a, he's basically showing us here that he's a chivalrous guy, you know. Um, chivalry's not dead in his day. Uh, Got in that culture, women would get the water out of the well and draw it for the men, and he has his men do it, and it's telling her, who's not been there long, you go and you drink as much as you want. Don't get hot. Don't, don't get too overexhausted out here. We want you at your best. And so he's, he's taking care of her, okay? And he's telling her, I got this. And there's really no reason for him to do that. 
And so it just so happens that she picks the field that he owns, and it just so happens that she picks that field on the day that he is going to be there, and it just so happens that he notices her and sees her, and it just so happens that he's heard her story about what she's done and her character and what she's done for her mother-in-law. It just so happens he goes and talks to her, and it just so happens that he takes good care of her and is going to make sure that she's protected and that she's well taken care of and that nobody harms her on, 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 the, on his field. That's big. That's big. Chivalry's not dead. You know, a lot of, a lot of guys, these, I mean, y'all, you know, and because women are so independent, you know, in, in this age, and they can do their own thing, and they can make their own money, and they really don't need us because they're smarter than us in a lot of ways. Um, there's a guy out there, like, ready to snipe me. Um, but, I'm just, you know, and we just don't treat women the way that they used to. They used to take care of them, and, and they still need security. They just act like they don't. So uh, be a, be Bring chivalry back, all right? I mean, I need it too. I'm not always the nicest guy. I hit my wife way too. I'm just kidding. Um, um, so he's taking care of her. Now, I want to I focus on how she reacts, okay? This is kind of the thrust of, of what I want us to focus on. R- verse 10, Ruth fell at his feet and thanked him warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness, she asked. I am only a foreigner. Ruth realizes something really important here, and that is that she's receiving gifts, and she's receiving things that she doesn't deserve. She understands from the jump that he, his obligation was to fulfill the law, and his obligation was to make sure that, she, that he gave her an opportunity to glean. That was his only obligation. That's all he had to do, and he goes far beyond that and far beyond what is, he has to do and does more, and that's really important because God does that for us in so many different ways. And a lot of times we chalk things up in our life. We chalk life events up to good luck or good fortune. And it's more than that. God is carefully putting our plan in place. And he's painting his masterpiece. And he's making things happen the way he wants them to happen. And he's doing more in us. And there's more at play than we can possibly imagine. And he gives us far more than we deserve. But we don't always mimic what Ruth did in that moment to Boaz. We don't always remember to thank God for what he's done for us. We don't always remember to thank God for the, the things he's doing in our lives and he's doing around us. We chalk it up to good fortune. We chalk it up to we were in the right place at the right time. We chalk it up to we worked hard and so we deserve it. We chalk it up to all these different things, but we forget to thank God for how he's at work in our life in the big, <coughs> excuse me, in the big and in the small. And Ruth understands very, she's very keenly aware of this because she has nothing. They're, they're in essence homeless. She's in a place where she knows nobody and she's found a guy who's heard of her character and he starts to show her a little favor and he starts to treat her in a way that is more than what she deserves. And he goes far beyond what is required of him and he goes all the way to grace. And I think that is just so important for us to understand that we don't thank God, we don't thank God enough for what he's doing and how he's at play in our life. A few, uh, few years ago, um, before one church started, I actually halfway interviewed for the job, for a job here. And by halfway, I mean it was a conversation, there hadn't been anything formal happen yet. And, but I came and I met Chris and talked, chatted with him, and I loved the vision, I loved the mission. And, and, uh, but I just, I was at another church, and it was thriving, and I, I was having a good time, and I just didn't feel like God was ready to move me yet. 
And so I ended up just saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to pull my name from, from the running or whatever, and, and um, you guys hired somebody far more qualified than, than me for the job. And um, I ended up getting, uh, going through a, a series of circumstances that had I not gone through them, I would not be prepared. I would not have been prepared to be the family pastor at one church. Would not have even been anywhere near it. So God knew what he was doing. And so we finally, uh, through some interesting circumstances, you guys ended up deciding that it was uh, time to hire a family pastor and move in that direction. And so I wanted the job, and, and I put my name in for it and didn't think I had a chance. Um, this is a great church. Um, I hope you guys don't take for granted how amazing this place is. And so being from the outside, I had been praying for one church and, and trying to uh, be as involved from the outside as I could. I love this place. I love the people. I love the staff. And so God... Um, God kept me connected. I've known Josh since we were like eight. You know, that's an exaggeration, but I've known him for a long time. And so I got to keep connected through that. And so I just got to pray for you guys and hear about your growth and hear about what God was doing. It was just, it was just awesome. And so when the opportunity came, I wasn't working at a church anymore. And um, I just, I, I knew that, that God had, his timing was right and his timing was good. And so I decided to put my name in. And there were several other people far more qualified for this job than, than what you got stuck with. And... Um, and, and, but God worked it out, and here I am. And uh, it was just an amazing thing of it just so happened. Well, when we got, when we got moved up here well, when we, the, to church, when we started working up here, we didn't live up here. We still lived in Hendersonville. And um, that's about an hour away, hour and ten minutes if you drive the speed limit. And, um, and that'll, that'll catch up with you at lunch, some of you. Um, so I'm traveling every day. It's taking a lot of time out of my family time. It wasn't like this awful experience. You know, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't having suicidal thoughts or anything, but it was, it was rough. It was just different, and it was a lot of time, and we're trying to sell our house, and it's just every time I go somewhere involving Clarksville, it's an hour, you know, hour and ten minutes. And so Jennifer, one day, I think I was, I was left work late uh, per our normal arrangement, and um, I was, so which puts me even later coming home, and I think she posted something on Facebook. And, you know, it just so happened that one of her 600 friends or whatever she has happened to see the post that, you know, I was traveling. And she just so happened to know this couple that was living up in Clarksville, and they had just accepted a job as worship pastors at a church in Hendersonville, literally like four minutes from my house. And um, you actually, there's two ways to get there. One of the main ways to get to that church is to go by my house. And so they were traveling from Clarksville to Hendersonville every day, and I was traveling from Hendersonville to Clarksville. And so she gave us this chick that we hadn't talked to in forever, uh, Facebook messages Jennifer and says, hey, um, I know this couple, I'm going to tell them about you, maybe they'll be interested, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so we're thinking, all right, cool, whatever, and this couple contacts us, and they're like, hey, um, let's meet up. So we had some lunch, talked about it, it just so happens that our house payments were like in almost exactly the same. It's like cents apart. And so we basically, and it just so happens that they're as dumb as I am, and they were willing to swap houses without doing any paperwork whatsoever. So we talked about it, and we basically decided that they would live in our house and pay for, pay for theirs, and we, it's really stupid, and they would, we would live in their house and pay for our own. So we're just paying our own house note, and, all, and all's good. We're packing up. We're going to Clarksville. Woo-woo, you know? Um, here we go. And so we're about the time we're getting everything settled and everything ready to go. He says, the guy tells me they want to keep their house for sale. And so I'm like, Ugh. but I, so I was like, all right, how many people have looked at it? You know, a few, how many offers? None. Uh, how long have you been up a year? Done. Cool. Um, and then it, because God has a sense of humor, the day we move in, we're getting tattooed, you know, with people to look at it all the time. So I just told Jen what any loving, responsible husband would. And I said, just make sure the house is always nasty. And, um, (laughs) 
because that's the kind of character I have, right? And um, so, <laughs> but so we, we're trying to do our part and, and keep it clean, and so people come, and it, it's just like every other day, it seems like somebody's looking at the house. So somebody makes an offer, and they buy it. And so I remember getting that email and thinking that I wanted to set the house on fire so nobody could live in it. Um, and thinking, I just unpacked, and me and Jen are such good thinker aheaders. Um, that's not really a word. Um, we had, you know, we just unpacked everything. That was smart. And um, so we were going to have to pack it all back up. And it was like the biggest U-Haul you can, you can have. And we, was, you know, we opened it, and stuff's falling out when we moved in. It's just, and I'm like, I'm, like, I'm going to have a panic attack. I'm going to flip out. But God's in control. God's got it. And so a few weeks later, after the house, after we find out they've accepted it, we find out that this, the guy that bought the house is an investor in Clarksville, and he's just trying to get up and going, and he bought the house simply to rent it. He just wants to rent the house. And so then we find out that he wants to rent the house, I kid you not, for $7 a month or so more than what we paid for our house. So it just so happens that my wife was frustrated and put something on Facebook. It just so happens that a friend she hasn't connected with in years happened to see it. And it just so happens that her friend took some initiative and Facebook messaged her. And it just so happens that that couple is just as dumb as we are and was willing to make an irresponsible move, switching houses without paperwork. And it just so happens that their house stayed up for sale and they sold it. And it just so happens that they sold their house to a guy that invests in homes and owns home and it just so happens that he wanted to rent that house and it just so happens that he was going to rent that house to me for seven dollars a month more than I pay and it just so happens that God is so much bigger than it just so happens and that he needed to remind me that he called me to one church and that he called me to Clarksville and that he called me to be here to love on you guys and to be your family pastor and that he has it under control and he's so much bigger than it just so happened all of those things all of those things seem like a bunch of little coincidences, and here we go, and if you put them out, and I told you about them in 40 different days, you wouldn't think anything about it, but when you put them all together, God was putting us and orchestrating our steps for us to go in that direction because he knew he wanted us in Clarksville. He knew he wanted us here, and he, we knew we wanted to be here, and so he's bigger than it just so happened, and it's not luck, and don't dumb down what God does in your life to luck. But be thankful for the things that he does do in your life that you don't deserve. The thing that I learned through that most was that God is, that's not what I learned. Let me start over. The thing that I learned most through that was that being aware of what God is doing in my life is going to help me be thankful. Awareness breeds thankfulness. That's the big idea today. That's the whole deal. Nothing complicated. It's not that pretty. Awareness breeds thankfulness. There's a lot of people in this room that aren't aware of what God is doing in your life. You're not aware of the little things that God's putting together and the little plans that he's orchestrating. And it just seems like, well, it's this over here and it's this over there and, and maybe it'll all come together. But God is doing something so much bigger and he is painting his masterpiece and he is using you as part of that. And he's doing something bigger than just putting a bunch of random circumstances together and hoping for the best. He's God and he's in control and he has... He knows exactly how this deal is going to play out. And you have to be aware. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, that if God didn't do that in me to help me be aware of the little things he does, I would go crazy. Life gets tough, things get hard, and you're going to want to call it quits. You're going to want to give up. 
And if you don't have these things to fall back on, to be aware of how God has moved in your life and how God has done things that are far more, uh, far bigger than just luck or it just so happened, you will want to go crazy. You have got to take the time to do what Ruth did and to get on your hands and knees and just thank God for how he moves in your life. There is a a set of circumstances that led you to be in this room today to hear this. It could be because God doesn't like you because you have to hear me talk, but probably not. God has aligned your circumstances to play out in ways you cannot possibly understand. It just so happens that God loves you that much and that God cares about you that much that he orchestrates your steps so that you can engage in relationship with him. And we do a disservice to ourselves and to our families and especially to God when we're not aware of what God's doing around us because your awareness will breed your thankfulness. I really believe that. If not, then you've got a heart issue you need to deal with there. I'm just going to tell you. I want to close out with, with this. The Naomi, Ruth asks a key question. She says, uh, why, what have I done to deserve... What have I done to deserve such kindness? I'm only a foreigner. And here's what I want you to know, because Ruth does this throughout the book, and it paints this beautiful picture. It paints this beautiful picture of how Ruth comes to him, comes and is just needy and and wanting and hands out, and Boaz is this constant, I got it, I'm going to take care of it, I'm going to give you more than you deserve. And in this picture, I mean, you really paint this picture, we're Ruth. We come to God with our hands open and our hands out and just, you know, needy and needing something and wanting something. And Boaz is God. And he goes far more than what is required of him all the way to grace. Because here's what happens when you dumb down what's happening in your life and when you dumb down things that it just so happened or luck. You're really robbing yourself of understanding the big picture of what grace in your life really is. Because it is more. It is absolutely more than just God died, God sent his son and died and you can go to heaven. And that's a huge part of it. Don't misunderstand me. That is the big chunk. But every day, every time you get something you didn't deserve, every time you get something that you didn't have to have, every time you get to breathe, every time you get a hug, every time you get to enjoy food, you're experiencing a little piece of God's grace. You're experiencing a little piece of God's grace because all he had to do, his only part of this deal was that he sent his son and he would engage us in relationship and that's all he promised. That's all he's due. But he goes far beyond what is asked of him and far beyond what is required of him and he goes all the way to grace and he gives us grace every day, every moment. He allows us to be in relationship with people. He allows us to have the beauty of having children and getting to parent them, which for the most part is a beauty. He allows us to be husbands and wives. He allows us to be mentors. He allows us to be in relationship with people. He allows us to be part of his story so that he can use us to affect life change in someone else. He goes far beyond what is required of him. He goes far beyond what he promised, and he goes all the way to grace. And grace is far more than <coughs> luck. Or it just so happened. It just so happened. It didn't just so happen. God carefully made a plan for you. And don't dumb that down. But be aware of God's grace in your everyday life. Because Boaz, I think, really understood 
the principle of going all the way to grace and going far beyond what the law required because all the law required him to do for, for Ruth was to let her pick up grain. He didn't have to protect her. He didn't have to give her water. He didn't have to tell her to stick with his group. He didn't have to do any of that. But he goes far beyond what is required to him, required of him. And he loves her and he brings her in and he protects her and he gives her what she needs, even though it might not be all the way what she wants. And she's aware of what he's done because she knows that to be thankful, she's got to be aware of what God's doing. And so she's aware and she thanks him and she gets on her hands and knees and she says, I don't know what I've done to deserve this, but thank you so much for what you've done for me. There's some of you in here that really, you really need to stop whining. I love you. I'm a whiner too sometimes, I understand. But God's given you far more than you deserve. He's gone far beyond what was required of him, all the way to grace. And you really need to grasp a hold of Boaz's view of grace. Because as much and as powerful and as beautiful the picture of grace on the cross is and how we're forgiven when we don't deserve to be and that God loves us and he sent his son simply so he can engage in relationship with us, that's a beautiful, wonderful picture. But there's everyday grace. There's the stuff that you get where you have a meal, where you get to kiss your wife or your husband, where you get to love on your kids. Celebrate that grace in your life. I'm gonna make this a brief transition into family pastor mode and talk to my parents for just a second. Parents, I'm begging you with everything that is in me. As somebody who wants to spend my entire life affecting the next generation, when things happen in your life, when God does something you don't deserve, when God puts a bunch of it-just-so-happened moments in your life, celebrate that with your children. Celebrate it with your children. Make them aware of what God has done in your life. Make them aware of when you're struggling and make them aware of when God comes through in a big and mighty way. Because if you want your children to have an authentic faith, they've got to see that authentic faith in you. And if you're only going to offer them a generic faith for the rest of their life, you will produce a child who will most likely have a generic faith. Have an authentic faith and be authentic with your children and tell them when you struggle and let them know when God comes through in a huge way. So that they can remember in their life the times that they saw God do something huge in your life. Share it with your children. Share it with the people around you. Share it with everybody and let them see how big God really is in your life. Not just in what you say, but in what he does. All right, I'm done with that. God goes far beyond what is required. And he goes all the way to grace. He created you to love you. He created you. Know, he knew he was going to create you before the beginning of time. And he still sent his son to die. He still knew that you and I were going to cause the death of his son. And he still went forward because he wants to engage in relationship with us that bad. He went beyond what was required and what he had to do. And he went all the way to showing us grace and mercy we never, ever deserved. And if we're not going to be aware of that, then how can we possibly be thankful? So as you go, I just want you to remember these three words. Awareness breeds thankfulness. Go home, sit down by yourself, with your spouse, both, and just write down together ten things that God's done. Everyday things. I, you, you know, it seems dumb. I promise you, it'll, you'll cry before it's over. Even the guys in here are like, man, I don't cry. Yeah, you will. I had like four or five cry moments getting ready for this whole deal. Because just remembering what God has done and how he's put people in my life and how he's orchestrated 
everything in my life to get me to where I am right now. Awareness breeds thankfulness. Don't dumb God down to it just so happened. But let awareness breed thankfulness in your life. Let's pray.